Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church and anyone else who may be joining in. I'm Jared Bryant, the pastor of Resurrection. And if you're new to joining us, we've been in a series called Salt and Light. And it's based on Jesus's words spoken long ago to his followers when he said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, my purpose in coming is not to make your life easier, but to invite you into a new human community that will be for the good of the world. And as we look through the pages of history, there have been times where the church has been like this beautiful light shining brightly in dark places. But there have also been other times where the church has failed miserably, working against everything that Jesus lived and died for. But before we start pointing fingers, which is very easy to do, we need to realize that our lives are messy as well. We are this strange mixture of light and darkness. But Jesus invites us as we are to come to him, to find life, to find healing, to find restoration, and then to be his agents of healing in a world that's torn apart by suffering and sin. So when we ask the question, what kind of people bring healing and hope to the world, Jesus shows us the way in these short statements called Beatitudes. And what we've been seeing together is that the true lights of the world, it's not the powerful, the influential, the wealthy, or those living in comfort and ease, but Jesus says it's the poor in spirit. It's the meek or the lowly. It's those who mourn. It's those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. It's the merciful. It's the pure in heart. It's the peacemakers. These change the world because they reflect Jesus most clearly, the one who embodies all of these attributes perfectly. And now today, we're we're down to our last beatitude, but it's at the very end here that Jesus changes direction on us. So in this last statement, it's no longer about the type of person that we are becoming, but it's about how others will respond to the type of person we are becoming. Because there's an, there's an assumption that we make that if we begin to embody some of these attributes that Jesus is talking about, that if we, if we really work to be salt and light, if we become more like Jesus, then everyone around us will, will be excited about it, that friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, they'll fully support who we are and what we're trying to do and that life is going to be much easier for us. But once again, Jesus shows us a different way. And what he says here in these few verses is not to frighten us, but to give us courage and help us find new strength for very real difficulties that we will face in being salt and light. And so verses 10, 11, and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, remember, to be blessed is a really good thing. It means you're doing it right. It means the good life. It means that others want to be in your shoes. But here, Jesus combines something really good and desirable, that is blessing, 
with something not good and something that we all want to avoid. That is persecution, insults, mistreatment. And Jesus brings these two together. And to help us see what what he means by this, uh, we've got to see that if you if you are going to really follow Jesus, not everybody will be excited about it. So a big part of my own faith journey started when I was in ninth grade. And that was when I started reading an old Bible that my grandmother had given me. But I was actually very secretive about it. I remember hiding it in a drawer in my nightstand whenever I was done reading it because I didn't want any of my friends or even my family to know what I was doing. Because in in my circles, it was not the cool thing to do. Uh, In fact, my friends and I had actually spent a good time making fun of other Christians because to us, they were different. They, They talked differently. They weren't doing some of the things that we were doing, and it didn't make sense to us. And so it was a really big deal for me when I wanted to start following Jesus uh, because I did worry about what other people would think. And when I did choose to finally uh, give my life to Christ later in high school, not everybody was excited about it. I, I started making decisions that didn't make sense to others and friendships changed and people's perception of me changed. Uh, But the pushback I got then was really nothing compared to what some experienced in the early church. Uh, One example is around 10 years after Jesus' death, the church was growing rapidly. It was expanding. People's lives were being changed. And one person who was very upset with what was happening was Nero, the emperor of Rome and probably the most powerful person on the planet at that time. And To try to stop this movement that he perceived as a threat, he resorted to extreme measures. So Christians were arrested and tortured with whips, with fire, with hot metal. All sorts of creative devices were made in persecuting these early believers. Some were even placed inside dead animal skins. And then the skins were sewn shut, and then they were fed to wild dogs. Others were crucified just like Jesus, and others were burned at night so that their bodies would light up the sky. Sometimes it was even made a spectacle in the Colosseum. It was, it was really like a big game show, kind of like survival, except no one survived, where people watched Christians dying in all sorts of sporting kind of ways. Remember when Jesus showed up on the scene, even though he was this long-awaited Messiah, come to heal the world and rescue us from sin and death, not everybody was excited to see him. As a toddler, soldiers were sent to find him and kill him, even just as a child. As he would grow as an adult, he was laughed at. He was accused of being a servant of Satan. He was called a heretic. He was criticized for his choice of friends. His cousin and one of his biggest supporters was imprisoned and had his head cut off. He was rejected in his own hometown. And there were other places where Jesus was simply told to leave, that they didn't want him there. Jesus was told by some that his teachings were too hard. And Jesus was told by others that his teachings were too soft. He was plotted against by local leaders. He was deserted by 
his followers, he was put on trial where witnesses lied about what he was doing. And then he was subject to this entire unjust process where a completely wrong verdict was given and he was tortured and killed on a cross. And in light of that, think about what Jesus told his disciples on his last night with them. And this is the, the New Testament lesson that you have in your worship guide. Jesus looked at them and said to them, these, this group that he deeply cared about, and he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So when Jesus, this true long-awaited light of the world, shows up bringing good news, he receives a very mixed response. Some loved him and gave everything to follow him. Some hated him and spent their lives trying to stop him. And most were simply indifferent and just didn't think that he mattered that much. They didn't care. And we see these same responses even today. A really good friend of mine is a pastor in the Middle East, and they have a a really beautiful, growing community of faith. Diverse people from all backgrounds coming together around Jesus. But it's also difficult. They are limited in where they can meet and how they can meet and what they can do. The government is very suspicious of them, seeing them as outsiders and as this threat to the common good of the nation. And what they experience is actually much lighter than what others experience in the area. There are are places in the world where it is against the law to own a Bible. It's against the law to change your religion. It's against the law to share the message of Christianity or to gather in any public way as a church family. And sometimes these crimes are even punishable by death. These are freedoms that we here in the American South take for granted. Sometimes church here can often feel a lot more like a rotary club where it's it's a volunteer organization that you show up when you want you connect with others and you hope it'll advance your life in, in some way. But for many around the world, the question of being a part of a church is a matter of life and death. People have found Jesus and his message so powerful and so life-giving that they are willing to risk everything to follow him. Uh, but here we still face our own struggles. There are aspects of Jesus' life and teaching that invite the world's applause and reverence. And there are other aspects of Jesus's life and teaching that the world finds deeply offensive and strongly rejects, even our known neighbors. As Scott Saul's pastor in Nashville says, if you seek to honor the whole Christ, that is the full picture of who he is and what he really teaches, your liberal friends will find that you are too conservative and your conservative friends will find that you are too Liberal, And it's not just that Jesus is a moderate, but it's that he, he doesn't fit into our categories. He is altogether different. His kingdom is different, and he is calling us to be different as well. 
Sometimes we as Christians face persecution, not because of what Jesus calls righteousness, but because we're simply not acting like Jesus at all. And we're giving our lives to all sorts of agendas that really aren't about what Jesus is about. And that's why these Beatitudes are so important. Here, Jesus invites us to be a kind of people, a different kind of people that the world doesn't have good categories for. People who are merciful and just, gracious and truthful, and to align our lives with his life and his purposes. And so he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Even even as people whose lives are deeply flawed and who need grace so much and who need Jesus, there is still this call to shine brightly, not as perfect people, but as people whose lives look to Jesus. A call to shine brightly and to endure persecution, which will look differently for each one of us. So for me personally, I still feel the tension I did when I was 15 years old, hiding my Bible in a drawer. When people ask me what I do and I tell them I'm a pastor, there's sometimes where people are excited about it, but most of the time there's this strange awkwardness that descends on the conversation. And there are many times where I still intentionally avoid talking about Jesus to avoid uncomfortable conversations or offending people. And Jesus gives us this final beatitude to help us courageously align our lives with him and his message of good news and to not worry as much about how others will respond, to simply follow him and to try to point others to him and all that we do. Because here's the good news. There is hope for the persecuted and the persecutors. There is hope for the persecuted in that Jesus promises to be with us, suffering with us as we face resistance and rejection for following him. And in Jesus' own words, our reward is great in heaven. Uh, That is a hope that cannot be taken away no matter what. As Jim Elliott, missionary to Ecuador, once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But there's also hope for the persecutors because here's the strange but beautiful reality. When God showed up here among us, we persecuted him all the way to the cross. And yet he takes all our anger, all our hatred, all our rejection upon himself and transforms it into the very power that brings about our rescue. I remember even a time as a kid Uh, when I was upset looking out the window and just simply telling God that I hated him. I didn't know much about him at all. I had a sense that he existed. He had done something that uh, upset me and I let him know I was not happy and I didn't think he was good. But here's where the gospel comes in. We give God the worst we have to offer. The world gives him the worst it has to offer, and he gives us the best he has to offer. That's the gospel that we preach. We preach a persecuted Savior offering forgiveness and life to any who will turn to him in faith and follow him with their lives. And as we close, I think about Polycarp, who was a leader in the early church. He was put on trial for his faith, and others demanded that 
he renounced Jesus completely and then his life could be spared. And his response was simple. He says, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme or reject my king and my savior? When we see the truth about what he has done for us, it produces in us a similar conviction. I want to live and die for the one who lived and died for me. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love you all. I miss seeing you face to face. I miss worshiping together as one body, but I'm also incredibly encouraged at the ways that God is at work in our midst. He is up to much good during this time, and he is always with us, and he is always for us. Let's keep pressing on together. Blessings in Christ.